How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 268 of x where uh, we're continuing that downward slope here. Um, we've got another sort of kind of nothing-happening issue here. It's not bad, as, I, as I've been known to say. It's not bad. It's just uh, kind of there. Maybe a little bit dull. But uh, it's also the October finale of the show, outside of the Infinity stuff that we do on the weekends. But um, as for the... DCBS shipment of September books This is it This is it From here we're going into Essentials For those of you who enjoy listening to me talk about Silver Age stuff And bullpen bulletins And all that crazy gestalty goodness uh, From the uh, the 60s That's coming That's coming It'll be a little while Till we get the next shipment I'm guessing And according to uh, You know the rumor and innuendo About Penguin Random House I don't even know how many of those books We're going to get So um yeah, this uh, this might be it for original recipe for a couple weeks. So uh, let's go out with a bang or a blah with a Wolverine Volume Seven Number Sixteen. This had a November twenty twenty one cover date and a legacy number of three hundred fifty eight. The story's called Ill Gotten Gains, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Adam Kubert. Letter, uh, I'm sorry, colors, colors come first, don't they? Espen Grundejern with Frank Martin. Letters, VCs, Corey Petit. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X for now is Hickman. Edit, Samaro, Basso, White, Sabolski. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale September the 29th of 2021. Now we open at the Green Lagoon, where Wolverine is drowning his sorrows. And if you recall, and honestly, I wouldn't blame you if you didn't, uh, last issue ended with the revelation that Logan's Muramasa had been stolen and replaced with a fake. Of course, there are two Muramasa blades, one Solemn had, one Wolverine had, they battled in Otherworld during Exitens, yada, yada, yada. Anyway, while he sits and drinks, he is joined by Solemn. Yeah, Solemn just saunters up, and he orders a, uh, a bottle of 1961 Left Bank Bordeaux from the Blob. Tell you what, I don't know jack all about wine, but a quick Google research tells me that this is apparently a much sought-after vintage. Uh, the WineCellarInsider.com says of the 1961 vintage that this is a legendary Bordeaux vintage, big, concentrated, and tannic in their youth. Numerous great wines were processed in the Medoc, the Right Bank, and the Pesic Lignon. Lignon? I don't know. If well stored, many of these wines are still offering great pleasure today. So, um, yeah, I guess this is a good. Yeah, I, I don't know wine. Maybe. Maybe Ben Percy got like a wine brochure over the weekend and decided that he was going to use a little bit of that in here. We we don't know. Anyway, from here, double page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Wolverine, Saver, Blackmore, and Solemn. 
Now, from here, we don't have a whole lot to talk about this issue. I apologize. There is uh, not much going on. Um, we get several pages here of Solemn attempting to convince Wolverine that he, Solemn, is the real victim here, and that together they have a common enemy in Saver Blackmore. And we go into the stories about how Blackmore abused Solemn as a child, which Blackmore was kind of upfront about last time around, right? He, he couldn't torture the kid who would never die, so he did some, I don't know, uh, outside-the-box sort of stuff. Now, um, he also says here, Solemn, that is, that everything Saver had told Logan was a big fat lie, even though he's kind of confirming some of those stories here. Uh, you see, about the Marauder, Blackmore attacked and looted the Marauder of his own volition, though Solemn did eventually steal the already stolen Logic Diamonds. Anybody care? <laughs> Anybody? Um, anyway... Solemn claims to have only stolen the diamonds from Saver so he could return them to their rightful owners on Krakoa, and he assures Logan that the diamonds are here, right now, on Krakoa. Solemn then again asks if he and Wolverine should team up to fight Blackmore, which Logan, for whatever stupid reason, decides to go along with. And I mean, Solemn, I feel like they're trying to show him as Loki, in a way. He's kind of Logan's Loki, right? Now, he doesn't sound genuine. He doesn't sound honest. And from everything we already know about him, it should be plainly obvious that our hero is about to willingly walk into a trap, right? Now, the gimmick here, the plan, is that Wolverine is going to act as though he's about to turn Solemn over to Saver as a prisoner, and then together they'll take the pirate out. Wolverine does demand Solemn hand over his Muramasa, though, so we got one sword. We got one sword down. From here, we go to an info page, and it's Sage's logbook regarding the Muramasa blades, basically recapping everything we already know in somehow an even more boring way than the first time around. Back to comics, and we're on Blackmore's boat. Wolverine's preparing to hand Solemn over to the pirate when, doy, it was a trap. You see, Solemn and Saver were already in cahoots to try and capture Wolverine, and then sell him to someone who's also trying to track down the Muramasas. Maybe we'll find out about them later. Wolverine takes Saver out pretty easily, but over the course of several pages here. It's, the fight scene goes on for two or three pages, which feels kind of unnecessary, though also kind of underwhelming given the buildup. I don't know. The thing is, he wraps him up in like the anchor line, the chain, and then dumps him into the drink. So Blackmore, he's anchored. He sinks to the bottom of the sea where... Hopefully he drowns and is never, ever seen again. Uh, Logan then reclaims the other Muramasa that Blackmore had taken from Solemn in that story that we heard at the casino in Madripoor, the lawless casino, and he heads back to Krakoa. So we've got both blades now. Now our scene shifts to Krakoa, where Wolverine approaches Hellfire Bay and Emma Frost's uh, white whatever-the-hell her office is called, the White Citadel, maybe? I don't know. He's got Blackmore's boat, which he offers to her as I guess we still haven't replaced the Marauder just yet. Then, we get a scene of Wolverine and Black Tom getting together to try to deduce which gates Solemn is using to go to and from Krakoa. And I guess we get around the whole, you know, don't these things ping where Sage is seated like 24 hours a day to like let her know who's coming through, by suggesting that he comes through a no place. And uh, we know about no places, we've heard about them before. Uh, this one is not that one, though. This is another this is a no place that could be found on the Arakan Point, and, or Arakoan Point, perhaps. 
Now, this is, of course, that monster-filled chunk of Earth that Krakoa mated with, or bonded with, back in X-Men Volume 5, Number 2, like 150 years ago. You know, where the Summers family were introduced to the creepy summoner. Well, it's still there. It's still attached to Krakoa, despite the rest of Arako being up on Mars. And uh, we also learn that this atoll now serves as a transit hub back and forth to Mars Arako. And I believe this is where they set up that e- the external gate to uh, do the whole Exitens thing uh, way back in the, uh, in the relative long ago. There, on this atoll, uh, Wolverine locates Solemn, who is flanked by some lovely ladies. Maybe one of them's a dude. Um, Cubert's art here gets a little bit loose here. I mean, it is the end of the issue, and I mean, it's worth noting that some of these panels looked very uh, Ramita Jr.-y, like kind of boxy. I don't know, maybe it's uh, an homage, or maybe... Maybe it's just a case of a uh, of lazy pencil. I'm not sure. Anyway, uh, Logan deduces that this is where the logic diamonds are, which I suppose Solemn wasn't lying when he said that they were here on Krakoa. Huh? Now it looks like he's got some gold balls cooking too. Uh, three Proteus eggs, which I, I don't know how these came to be, and I don't know what it is we're supposed to get from this. Anyway, Wolverine then introduces Solemn to Emma Frost. And since we mustn't forget that Emma is the be-all, end-all of mutants, Solemn looks as though he's about to be wrapped around her little finger. And again, isn't this dude like Loki levels of trickster? Emma just has to, like, run her finger across his chin to make him subservient? That really doesn't work. At least not to me. I get that we're trying to make it seem like Emma's, like, really, really cool, but... I don't know. Maybe we just don't question... Emma's coolness. Uh, from here, we go to an info page, and it's Sage's logbook. Here, Emma reports the results of Solemn's psychic interrogation to Sage. It's it's all pretty boring. Um, I think the gist is that Solemn is kind of a kind of a hedonist. You know, he looks for pleasure anywhere he can get it, and uh, yeah. Next, we go to Summer House, where Wolverine places the two Muramases on his nightstand. Then we shift to, I'm guessing, somewhere in Japan. Here, the Hell Bride rises. And uh, I want to say that this was the ceremony that Logan and Solemn busted in on during the two parts too many Wolverine goes to hell too aside during Exit Ends. Oh well, I'm guessing that uh, the bride uh, of that ceremony is uh, now the one who's looking for the Muramasas. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, that's where we leave it. Uh, Next time out, Gaia help us. X-Men Green rolls on in X-Men Unlimited. Boy, it probably sounds like I'm hating life right now, doesn't it? (laughs) Um, A couple of uh, pretty mm, uneventful issues here, and now we have uh, X-Men Green waiting on the uh, horizon for us. But I assure you, I'm still having a good time with this. I hope it's not coming across as though I'm I'm not having a good time with this, because, you know, I am. I just don't really have a whole heck of a lot to say about this issue. I feel like, um, I mean, and we've said this before, I feel like with all of the big events that are going on right now, we're kind of in a rush to get to the next era. And I think Solemn was one of those... Uh, one of those things that was kind of left in the bin, right? We knew that there was going to be something... Solemn was going to have to be dealt with in one way or another. Because, I mean, let's face it, Solemn's not terribly interesting. It's kind of like uh, something that you, you need to strike while the iron is warm. It's not even hot. It's just like, oh, we kind of remember that guy from Exit 10s, and he kind of slinked away, and I wonder what happened to that guy. He's got the other sword. 
And it's like, okay, let's get it done. <laughs> let's let's knock it off the ledger before we go into the next uh, phase here. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit, not much, but we're going to talk a little bit about the January solicits that uh, were just released either this morning or yesterday, I believe, as of the time of this recording. And we're going to see that it's a very Wolverine-heavy uh, month in, in January. So I feel like we're kind of just filling time here, and we're trying to take certain things off the board to uh, facilitate the next era setting in without too much uh, carryover from this current and previous era. We're just ticking off boxes, I guess. And I could be completely wrong here. Solemn could be, you know, the character find of 2022, for all I know. I, I, I hope not, <laughs> but he might be. Um, really, I mean, what is there to say about this issue? Uh, we knew that we knew that Solemn is basically Logan's Loki, and we know that he's a manipulator, we know he's a liar, and we basically got 20 pages of that. Saver Blackmore proves to be just about as interesting as his look. He looks like one of the interchangeable mutants from uh, Dark Knight Returns, and it's basically what we got here. It's really nothing all that interesting. Um, we do have the hand doing their ceremony to raise the Hellbride. So, okay, what do we got? Two issues of Wolverine fighting ninjas coming up? Never seen that before, and uh, I'm sure we'll never see it again, so we got to make sure we get on this. So, yeah, this one doesn't really inspire me to say all that much, and, um, yeah, that's probably, as I call them, X-lapsed problems, right? We, where I spend way too much time with these issues that are probably meant to be you know, just received, digested, and, and passed, you know? I'm not supposed to be lingering on a Wolverine volume, whatever, number, whatever, for, you know, four or five hours trying to come up with ways to parse and analyze it. I was supposed to spend ten minutes reading this, throw it back in the bag and board, chuck it in the box, and really never think about it again. And if I were to do that, I'm sure I would have enjoyed it a lot more than I did. Unfortunately, that's just not how we do things here, so I uh, kind of dwell on the fact that it's kind of just there, you know. Uh, the art here, for the most part, was really, really good. Um, there was a bit of a, what I called lazy pencil toward the end, where characters looked a little bit blocky, couldn't really tell who was who, um, in as far as uh, side characters. Of course, our main characters, you can tell, but a little iffy on, uh, on some of the figures toward the end there, and uh, there were a couple of pages where Wolverine did look very Romita Jr.-y. I'm a fan of Romita Jr. I know that's not a popular opinion. Even his current day stuff, I'm still a fan. It's comfort food for me. I can acknowledge that it's certainly not what it was, but it still has a measure of, uh, of comfort for me, so I still dig it. So when I see Kubert consciously or unconsciously kind of evoking a Romita Jr.-esque style on a page or two, I'm, I'm okay with it. It's just something I felt that was worth being pointed out. Overall, if you're you know if you're a Wolverine fan, you're probably gonna be okay with this issue. I'm not I'm not figuring anyone's gonna be you know have their socks rocked by it. And I'd also suggest that nobody's gonna have their hair set on fire by it. It's just a just an issue, just another Wolverine issue. If that's your thing, you're gonna dig it. If not, well, you're probably not reading this book anyway. You're probably just collecting it and tossing it in the long box as the. Uh, the sales charts that we'll discuss at the end of this episode are kind of uh, leaning toward. Anyway, I think that's all I have to say. I spent like eight minutes saying I didn't have anything to say about the issue, so apologies for that. But uh, from here, let's hop into the mailbag here. We do have a letter from our friend Andrew talking about the Onslaught revelation. Now, Andrew says, I'm glad I'm not the only one who had mixed feelings about this issue. 
there's a clear point where the story turns into gobbledygook, something that a Grant Morrison could pull off and keep the story engaging, but not so much here. I got the same rushed and crammed feeling here that I've gotten so much lately. And it's really annoying how these books keep sacrificing clear, concise storytelling for some perceived extra sales push. Same as it ever was, I suppose. Anyway, like you said, I'm not sure what I wanted from the Onslaught Revelation, but I don't think I got it. And yeah, I think I repeated that line probably too many times during that episode. It's like, I, I, I don't want to use the, the word disappointed to describe how I felt about the Onslaught Revelation. It was just like... And like and like Andrew says, and like I said during the uh, during the episode, I don't know what I wanted from it. I don't know what I expected from it because, I mean, Onslaught, a character and a concept like that, the sky is really the limit, right? Onslaught has has appeared in a quiet, st- relatively speaking, a quiet story like Way of X, and it's also been the bombastic, you know, massive straw that stirs the drink in the Marvel universe in basically decimating the Marvel universe. Now, while that doesn't necessarily speak of the versatility of the character, it makes you question exactly what you're going to get, right? I mean, because it could be anything. And while I was sure it wasn't going to be anything huge, because really, it couldn't be. Way of X, you know, it's not a headline book in the Marvel Universe. It's not even a headline book in the X books. It's kind of just... I mean, it's wonderful. It's been up there with my favorites of the era, but... Let's be realistic here. Not many people, relatively speaking, are reading and enjoying it the way that, uh, that I am and that, that, that some of us are. And so certainly I should have tempered my expectations as to what this issue was going to bring because, like I said, it couldn't be too much. But again, I don't know what I wanted from it. I don't know what I expected from it. It just, uh, it just wasn't there. Andrew continues. It was really cool hearing Walt guest star in the episode, and I really liked his explanation for how the mutants defeated Onslaught. I think he put more thought into it than the actual comic does. That final confrontation is when the narration really becomes gobbledygook. And yeah, um, Walt definitely had a great take on that final scene here, which I didn't think about. Um, I don't know if the the creators did or not, but I certainly didn't. I just went back to the old uh, Chris and Reggie well of uh, (laughs) declaring it a case of the Care Bear stare. (laughs) Which was one of our go-tos when uh, we'd get this sort of an ending where it was like the power of love or the power of the power of the will, you know, just winning in a, like a nebulous sort of way where it's basically, you know, the Care Bear stare. Uh, Andrew continues. Overall, though, I enjoyed Way of X so much that I was okay with a finale that was a little vague, and the next chapter in Spurrier's little corner seems interesting, so I can accept a yada yada they beat onslaught just to get to the next thing sort of ending. Maybe they've just beaten me down. Well, that is possible. I feel the same way in a lot of uh, in a lot of regards, and I am also definitely looking forward to the Legionaries uh, series, uh, seeing where that goes, seeing how characters like Juggernaut and uh, Blindfold fit into that, and of course, Forget Me Not is always is always a hoot, and uh, definitely one of uh, Spurrier's favorite concepts and characters as well. Andrew continues. I did stop midway through my read to wonder how this, The Trial of Magneto, and Inferno all fit together until I realized how futile that was. I suspect we won't get any real references to any of these three events until January when the dust clears on the behind-the-scenes shake-up. And, and yeah, I'm sure you're right there. It's uh, something I just gotta learn to accept. It's hard for me to wrap my head around such a thing when, you know, I've talked about this before. I came up at a time where, like... People were very, very strict about what happened when. 
like you'd get reviews on Usenet. Not, yeah, I'm going back to Usenet again. Uh, Usenet <laughs> was a great place. Very passionate fans. Very knowledgeable fans. Much more knowledgeable than I ever was and probably ever will be. Um, there are folks who could do this chapter and verse just from the top of their heads. And you'd get, like, questions about when something happened back in a 90s comic, and effort would be put into it. You know, uh, various Usenetters would come together to try to figure out exactly when certain beats occurred. Like, you know, this couldn't have happened between this issue and this issue. It had to have happened somewhere down the line or somewhere beforehand. Effort went into it. And sometimes it was frustrating. Sometimes hoops had to be jumped through to make it make sense and flow the way... That the fans thought it would flow is a way of it making sense. And now we don't even bother doing that. We've been, you talked about, you know, being beaten into submission. That's what it feels like now. You know, the fandom has just been beaten into submission where we're getting three stories maybe happening at the same time, maybe not happening at the same time, including the same characters who should be in very various places during these three stories. And nobody even cares to put in the effort to even, you know, headcanon it, to head chronology it, you know? It's just, a, it's a sad state of affairs, and it's one of the things about comics of the current year that I have a hard time kind of accepting, because I feel like it's really done a number on the on the passion and the interactivity of the fan base, where, where I mean, we're... We're more interactive with the comics industry now than we've ever been. I mean, I can right now go and tweet somebody. You know, I can send a message to Cy Spurrier, and he probably won't answer, but I can send him a message, you know, and I don't have to lick a stamp to do it. <laughs> it's, a, it's a weird disconnect where we're, we're closer than ever, but at the same time we're, narratively speaking, more disconnected than ever. We're just more accepting of the fact that what we read before may not matter. And... Um, I don't know, it's kind of sad, isn't it? And yeah, you know, just like you here, I, as I mentioned during the episode, it's like, when does this happen? If Magneto is here under Onslaught's spell, and then Magneto and Professor X become Onslaught, and then they're squished, and where do they, where are they in Inferno? It's, yeah, it's it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. I'm not even um, convinced that in January we're going to get any any sort of clarification on when these stories happen. I have a feeling that the only one that's going to be mentioned is going to be Inferno. You know, the Trial of Magneto might get a an aside, but I think the building blocks here, the you know, the the next floor of the post Hoxpox era is being laid with Inferno, and on top of that, they'll build Trial of Magneto. Not so much Onslaught, probably never again. But we'll take it as it comes. I mean, I'm. Completely speaking without uh, knowledge here So we'll we'll see, we'll see um, Now Andrew wraps up with So until the mutants defeat Nimrod with the power of love Make my next lapsed And um, I know you're saying that in jest But uh, we just don't know, do we? Let's hope there's more to it than that Let's uh, keep our fingers crossed But thank you so much for writing in On the Onslaught Revelation, Andrew It's always great to hear from you um, before we go to the next uh, segment here, I do want to say that I've received uh, some more wonderful feedback from folks about my uh, Idiot's Guide to Podcasting that I recorded for episode 264. Now, I'm not going to share the feedback I received here um, because, I don't know, it's, I, I don't want to share other people's uh, journeys, you know. Um, 
But I do want to make sure I thank the folks who did take the time to share their experiences with, uh, with this medium, with this art form. So uh, thank you all. Uh, you know who you are. And while on the thank you train here, let's do some shout-outs here. This is thanking the folks on social media who have uh, engaged with and promoted X-Lapsed stuff. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Walt Neeland, Chris Bailey, Jeremiah, Dave Schultz, Billy D, Joe Crawford, 21st Century Boys, Into the Weird, All-Star Squadron, That One Guy, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Joe Crawford, Al Sedano, Jesse D. Young, Jeremiah, Corbin Owens, Pat Sampson, Andrew Franklin, Walt Neeland, Evan Bevins, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to raise the profile of this little program. And again, more thank yous. I want to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. As always, thank you so much for your support and for believing in me and this little project. Got a lot more stuff in the works for, uh, for the Patreon, and uh, I'll discuss a little bit of that in just a bit. I mean, it's nothing earth-shattering, but it's uh, some extra stuff that I think will be fun to discuss and uh, work through. Now, before we get into the sales charts, which, of course, this is the you know, September or October finale. Uh, it's, it's both, kind of. It's the end of the September books, but the end of the October episodes. So whichever one <laughs> works better, I suppose. Whatever the case, we always wrap up with uh, a look at the sales charts. But before we get into the sales charts, we do have some news bits that I did want to touch on here. Uh, The Marvel solicits for January have hit, and we've been waiting for these. Uh, These are kind of the uh, turning of the worm here. Uh, Things are changing. And uh, we're not going to go through them in depth because... uh, because that's a whole other segment that we do on the show in, in a different episode. But I did want to go through a very brief look at what we've got here. Um, we do have four issues of the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine. Of course, that is a weekly book, and it is expensive. <laughs> um, now, two of the issues we're going to get in January, six bucks, two or five bucks. So if you want to follow the X-Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, you're looking at like 22 bucks. Yeesh. That's pricey. Um, uh, we we questioned whether or not Devil's Reign X-Men was going to be a one-shot or a miniseries. We find out here that it is not a one-shot, but a three-part mini, so we will have three months of that. The Sabretooth announcement from uh, a few weeks ago, we wondered if that was going to be a miniseries or an ongoing. Well, it looks like it's going to be a miniseries, five parts. Now, other than that, not a whole lot of X stuff being, uh, being advertised here. We do have an issue of X-Men, an issue of New Mutants, I believe, and... Uh, uh, that that's really it. So that's helpful, I suppose, in that we're getting just so much Wolverine. So we will uh, we'll probably have just as many books to discuss that month as any other, just because of the the weekly deal. I uh, remember Black Panther number three that uh, we talked about doing a few months ago. Actually, I guess that book got pushed, and it finally comes out in January. And I guess Marvel realized that it's also the two hundredth episode, two uh, hundredth issue, I should say, of Black Panther. So. Yeah, it's got a legacy number 200, so we're stuck paying $6 for it. So that's uh, that's something. I don't know that we'll cover the entire issue. I'm guessing it's going to be... I'm guessing the X-Men story, the you know going to Mars to talk with Storm thing, is not going to be the entire issue. So it's likely we'll just cover that story. In I'm guessing that'll be a collection of sorts. The Marauders Annual is officially solicited for January, which will kick off Volume 2. 
And uh, Savage Avengers, a book that we discussed, I think, three issues of here on the show, is being cancelled. So the last issue will be out in January. Don't know what they're going to do from there. If I know Marvel, um, February will probably have issue one of the Savage Defenders. Or maybe the Savage West Coast Avengers. Or Savage Forceworks. Maybe uh, the Savage Darkhold Redeemers. I don't know. Savage Fantastic Four. Who knows? I don't think we're done with uh, Conan in the uh, mainstream Marvel U, but uh, hey, I could be wrong. But that's it for our news. We don't have anything new on uh, Penguin Random House, unfortunately. But uh, maybe we'll know a little bit more soon enough. Anyway, let's wrap up with a look at the sales charts for July 2021. Feels like a long time ago, but I guess it really, really wasn't. I guess we got these numbers in August. It's October, so two months behind. Uh, Maybe we'll catch up soon. I don't know. Maybe we'll do an extra one next month. But uh, we have a top five here, which actually includes one of our books. Actually... One of our books is number one. Yes, number one for July was X-Men Volume 6, number one. Doi. Uh, number two was Moon Knight, Volume 758,000. Hopefully this one will stick, number one. Uh, number three for the month was Extreme Carnage Alpha, number one. Uh, number four for the month was Batman, number 110. And the fifth highest selling book in July was Sinister War, number one. So let's look at those five. What have we learned here, kids? Um, well, the number ones and Batman will always sell, I guess. Uh, same as it ever was. Now, let's take a deeper look at the X-Books. Of course, number one is X-Men Volume 6, number one. Now, this one shipped 248,800 copies. That's a quarter of a million copies. Ain't too shabby. I'm guessing only about a fifth of those actually sold. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, those will be in your 50-cent bin before long. Now, this one is up 20 slots from position 21, which, I mean, duh. You know, X-Men uh, Volume 5, number 21, was was in uh, position 21 last time out. And uh, they shipped 158,876 more units. Again, that's shipped, not sold. Uh, book 20 for the month was Wolverine number 14, which shipped 60,892 uh, copies. This one went down five slots from position 15 and shipped 17,653 less units. It's worth noting here that these are all post-Hellfire Gala, so the numbers that we're comparing these uh, shipments to are indicative of a big crossover, you know, coming off a big crossover. So basically everything is going to go down a pretty, pretty good deal, except for one. One that has uh, nothing to do with uh, the current year stuff, but we'll get there when we get there. Now, we jumped from position 20 on the uh, sales charts to position 71. So yeah, from from position 21 to 70, there are no X-Books. The next one in the line is Marauders number 22, which shipped 36,103 copies. This one dropped 49 slots from position 22. Of course, that was Hellfire Gala. That was actually the kickoff to the Hellfire Gala, so I think there was a lot of extra interest there. Um, 28,414 less units were shipped for issue 22. And, and again, Hellfire Gala, the big intro to it. A lot of people didn't know exactly what we were getting into. There was curiosity with Marauders number 21 that might not have been there with 22, or certainly wasn't there for 22. Book 79 was Hellions 13, which shipped 34,802 copies. This one dropped 21 slots from position 58 and shipped 12,008 less copies. Again, Hellfire Gala. 
But I tell you what, it is uh, somewhat heartening that uh, Hellions sold better than all the other books Because Hellions deserves to sell more than a lot more, a lot, a lot of the other X books uh, Let's drop down two more spots to X-Force 21, this is position 81 on the list Now this one shipped 34,738 copies and dropped 44 spots from position 38 uh, And also shipped 19,016 less copies Position 88 is Excalibur number 22, which shipped 32,874 copies, dropping 37 spots from position 51, and also shipping 15,936 less copies. Now we go to a bit of a dichotomy here, which is why it's so important that we now have the, the estimated shipping numbers. We drop down to position 89. Here we have X-Men Legends number 5. You know, nothing to do with the mainstream or the current year stuff, really. Now this one shipped 32,561 copies It dropped 19 positions from spot 70 But shipped 3,049 more copies So that's why it's so important to have all the figures here Because we just don't know in the context of everything in between You know, position 70 to 89, what these numbers are So yes, X-Men Legends dropped in the charts But sold more, or shipped more copies Which, pretty interesting it's the only time we're going to discuss anything like that for uh, for today, though. Uh, position 90, Way of X number 4, the penultimate issue of that series. 32,553 copies shipped. Dropped 43 spots from position 47, again, Hellfire Gala. Uh, and also shipped 17,091 less copies. Position 93, X Corp number 3. This one shipped 31,084 copies, dropping 33 spots from position 60 and shipping 15,411 less copies. Now, position 100 goes to New Mutants number 20, and uh, this one shipped 30,234 copies, dropping 52 spots from position 48, and shipping 19,214 less copies. Position 119 is Children of the Atom number 5, the penultimate issue of that series, this one shipped 26,932 copies, dropping 16 spots from position 103, and shipping 2,580 less copies. Position 121, Sword, number 7, shipped 26,238 copies, dropping 57 spots from position 64, and shipping 17,831 less copies. I'm trying to remember... If Sword 7 was the last Annihilation tie-in I can't remember off the top of my head If it was or not It's probably something I should have looked up before recording this But uh, but I didn't um, Now, that's not even the worst selling or shipping book of the X line here That honor goes to um, Kind of a surprising one here uh, Cable number 12 I thought it being the final issue would have maybe got a little bit more interest Especially with the old man's face on the cover I thought it would have garnered a little bit more interest, but apparently not. Uh, cable number 12 was the 130th highest shipped uh, book of the month, only shipping 23,288 copies. Now, Cable 12 dropped 11 spots from 119 and shipped 1,812 less copies. So it's, you know, not a huge drop in uh, the amount of issues shipped, but... A bit disappointing. I, I was actually expecting that one to kind of crank up a little bit, kind of the way uh, X-Factor number 10 did. But I guess that's kind of comparing apples and elephants there a little bit, where we had a major death that Marvel spoiled in X-Factor 10, where Cable kind of just uh, kind of just ended. 
And I think many of the mainstream looky-loos out there have already made their minds up on on what cable is, and uh, they've realized that they're far too advanced to uh, fall in with a uh, with a cable book. But maybe I'm projecting. <laughs> That's always a possibility. Now, um, I'm really enjoying the fact that we have numbers again. These numbers are a lot of fun to uh, to parse and to go through and uh, to make some uh, more accurate comparisons. It gives us a better way to interpret these lists here. We get uh, more context, which is great. And uh, something that I want to do, uh, and hopefully I'll get started on uh, within the next couple days, is going through the sales charts from uh, from the get-go, going back to the summer of 2019 where uh, House of X and Powers of X were coming out. I want to parse and analyze all the numbers from then till now and then continuing into the future just to see and gauge the health of the line. And I mean, I'm sure we're not going to learn anything earth-shattering. I mean, I'm pretty sure uh, it's going to be number ones and crossovers that are going to sell more than anything else. It's basically, it's weird, it's kind of just like this show where certain episodes will be listened to more than others. And I think that there is... Maybe not a one-to-one, but there is a correlation between sales and listenership. Some people may listen to a show for a book they're never going to buy just to, you know, know what happened in it. But I think for the most part, there is a connectivity between how many books, how many copies of a book sell and how many people listen to a show about said book. Either way, I think that's going to be a pretty fun project to uh, to hop into. I think I'm going to offer it on the Patreon, not because it's terribly special content or anything. I just don't know that uh, many people will be interested. I don't know that there's a hunger for my analysis of sales <laughs> in the uh, broader listenership of X-Labs, but eh, well, maybe we'll find out that I'm wrong. In any event, I want to try to figure out ways to make this as least confusing for uh, posting as possible because... You know, when you post things, it's kind of like a blog where, like, whatever you did last gets pushed down one. And I want to have, like, concurrent things for this. I want to do, like, a month-by-month. And I want to do, like, a all-encompassing where we can just kind of work our way through and uh, note trends. And, um, I don't know, just see if there's any weird outliers and try to analyze those outliers as best we can. Or, you know, as fake-ass comics historians and fake-ass comics statisticians, easy for me to say. I think it'll be a fun little endeavor, and I hope you think it would be as well. And hey, if you want to talk to me about it, or, you know, anything, please feel free to find me. Track me down. I'm easy to find. Hit me up. I'm on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. 90s X-Men is our little group. And, of course, the complete archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. you find that any way you find noise. And, hey, you know, while you're there, if you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, maybe tell a friend or two that it exists, and it might be something they dig. Uh, finally, the Patreon is patreon.com slash As mentioned, there's uh, oodles of exclusive and first-run content there and soon-to-be uh, sales figures if everything goes according to plan. And if you're curious about it, uh, you don't get charged till the first of the month. So if you pop in there any time before the first of the month, you, you don't have to pay until the first of the month. So if you like what you hear or like what you see while you're there, maybe stick around. If not, no harm, no foul. I appreciate anybody giving me the opportunity. But... I think that's all we have for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for allowing me to spend some time with you today and uh, this month covering the current crop of current year books. It's been something of a roller coaster. A lot of ups, a lot of downs, a lot of in-betweens. 
And if you're down to join me on The Essentials, I'll see you then. Uh, Otherwise, I will see you next month. In any event, as always, I'll be talking to you again real soon. See ya.